scripture reading comes from the book of Matthew, um, chapter 9, verses 9 through 13 and 18 through 26. Let us now hear the word of God for you. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. While he was saying this, a synagogue leader came and knelt before him and said, My daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her and she will live. Jesus got up, went with him, and so did his disciples. Just then, a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. And she said to herself, If I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed at that moment. When Jesus entered the synagogue leader's house and saw the noisy crowd and people playing pipes, he said, Go away. The girl is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After the crowds had been put outside, he went in, took the girl by the hand, and she got up. News of this spread throughout the whole region. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So Jesus is on the heels of his Sermon on the Mount, where his message has deeply impacted everyone that's there. And the Sermon on the Mount starts out with the Beatitudes, where Jesus is laying out his vision. And the vision he lays out is good news for the poor, good news for those who have suffered loss or oppression, and for those who have felt unseen. And this is unlike anything that anyone has ever heard before. And in addition to the Beatitudes, which I think most of us are familiar with, um, Jesus was preaching things such as, Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Ask, and it will be given to you. And search, and you will find. And there was so much more that he was preaching that day that I bet it was probably a bit overwhelming for those in attendance. And you can imagine that they felt, people that were there felt very inspired at what Jesus was preaching and excited, but at the same time asking themselves, how in the world are we going to live into this vision? I mean, where do we even start? Where do we go from here? And I think this is not unlike the visioning process that we've just been through. So while we didn't meet on top of a mountaintop, we did have a congregational meeting in January where we shared out the results of our visioning summit. And in that, in that meeting, we started off with letting you know what our mission statement was, which was creating a caring community, 
I just want to remember that, creating a caring community. It's our mission. And then we introduced our vision statement. And our vision statement is a spiritual home of God's love, inclusivity, and belonging, reflecting Christ's compassion and justice in our community, nation, and world. And then after we introduced that vision, we also then threw at you six priorities or callings of what success looks like. And as I look back, that was probably also very overwhelming to take in at one time. And like those on the Sermon at the Mount, I know that our congregation was excited and felt inspired, but I also know you're wondering, how do we live into that vision? It was pretty big and grand, right? What do we do from here? What are the next steps? Because I know here at Greenfield, we love doing things, right? And it is one thing to put word on paper, but it's another thing to put those words into works in the world. Now, Jesus was a master at both. And I think we can learn a lot from what he did after his visioning summit, the Sermon on the Mount. So after a long day of preaching, at his visioning summit, Jesus comes down from the mountain and he goes on a miracle healing spree. I can see it now. The crowds are building up. They're lining up. There's huge lines and Jesus is healing one after the other after the other. And at the end of the day, and understandably so, Jesus is spent. And he just wants to go back home to Capernaum and Galilee, which is basically the headquarters of his ministry. And so on his way into town, Jesus sees Matthew. Matthew is sitting at the tax collection station, and he says, follow me. And that's exactly what Matthew does. Now, what's interesting is that the word for follow used here in Greek is a kuluthene, which is more like come and be my disciple. So Jesus, upon seeing Matthew, a tax collector, invites him to be one of his disciples. So now tax collectors back then were really not seen in the highest of regards. In fact, tax collectors were despised and they're seen as one of the lowest of lows back then. And which is why it's understandable the Pharisees asked Jesus' disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And I'm guessing that the disciples were wondering the same exact thing because they were a little slow in the uptake, right? And, you know, if you think about this, that there's a high probability that some of the disciples, if not all of the disciples there, knew Matthew as their tax collector, right? So Matthew is a Jew like them who betrayed his people by working for the Germans to collect probably a not-so-fair share of their hard-earned money. And also tax collectors back then were notoriously known for being wishy-washy with the laws of Scripture, which is why they were seen as sinners. So it's understandable that despite the disciples would have despised Matthew, seeing him as a tax collector, a traitor, a betrayer of their faith, and also the lowest of lows. Now, Jesus knew this, and it would be one thing if Jesus was just sitting there eating and socializing with them. But he asked Matthew 
to follow him. And this is the same invitation that he extended to all the other disciples that are sitting around the table with him at this point. So I find myself wondering, why would Jesus do that? And then I start wondering, what did Jesus see? So maybe when Jesus looked at Matthew, he saw someone who became a tax collector because that was the only thing that he could think of doing to support his family. Maybe Jesus saw someone who was alone, who had a good heart, and who still had faith but had lost his way. You know, while others saw a tax collector, perhaps Jesus saw a child of God that had a lot to offer and needed someone to believe in him to help him find his way back. So Jesus sees Matthew, invites him to follow, and as a result, he gives Matthew new life. Someone had finally seen Matthew. And as we continue to follow Jesus on the heels of his visioning summit, we see that while he's sitting there having dinner, a leader comes in and kneels before Jesus and says, My daughter has just died, but I know if you come with me and lay your hands on her, she will live. Now, if we look at Luke or Mark, we see that this is a synagogue leader, and his name is Jairus. In other words, he is a Pharisee. Yes, he's one of them. He's one of those that Jesus just got done rebuking at the dinner table. And I'm sure that the disciples were completely shocked of what they were seeing. Because normally the Pharisees are the ones who seem to be challenging Jesus at every opportunity they can get. And here you have one that is kneeling before Jesus asking for help. If you think about it, this is like having the church across the street who has shown disagreement with our pride flag coming to us asking for our help. But Jesus gets up and he follows Jairus immediately. Again, I find myself wondering, why would Jesus do that? Would we get up and just immediately go help those across the street? And then I start wondering again, what did Jesus see? What did he see? Maybe when Jesus looked at Jairus, he saw a leader who was conflicted with the teachings and rituals that he grew up with and with those that Jesus is now preaching. Maybe Jesus saw a father, a father who loved his daughter so much that he would do anything for her. Or perhaps Jesus saw Jairus as a child of God who felt helpless and whose heart was yearning for the kingdom of heaven that Jesus has been preaching. So Jesus got up and follows Jairus without hesitation, and he brings his daughter back to life. But Jairus' daughter isn't the only one brought back to life that day. And the moment that Jesus sees Jairus, truly sees him, Jairus is given new life. First we have Matthew, and now Jairus, both truly seen by Jesus and both given new life. Which brings us to the woman who's been suffering from a flow of blood for 12 years that Jesus encounters on his way to Jairus. This is a woman 
who's been menstruating continually for 12 years. Just let that sink in. And if that isn't bad enough, according to the law, when a woman was menstruating, she was deemed unclean, and anyone or anything she touched would become unclean. And anyone that touched anything or touched anyone that she touched was deemed unclean. So you get the point. And if you were contaminated, you would have to wash your clothes that you were wearing. You'd have to bathe yourself and quarantine until the evening before you could be considered clean again. Now, this reminded me a lot of the early days of the COVID pandemic. Remember in those days, we all went grocery shopping, right? I know I wore a mask, I wore latex gloves, and I was careful to keep my social distancing, right? And if anyone is so little cleared their throat, let alone coughed around me, you would step way, way back, right? But also on top of that, Upon coming home from the grocery store, I had this awesome contamination, decontamination station set up at home, right? So we pull in, we're in the garage, we're taking our groceries out, we're wiping them all down with Clorox wipes and we're placing them in the bin. You know, cereal boxes, bags of chips, bags of apples. If it had packaging, it got wiped down. And then it was left in the garage overnight just to make sure anything that was alive after that thorough wipe down got killed. And then, not wanting to take any chances, I would also strip off my outer layer of clothing, keep them in the garage overnight before I brought them in the next day to wash. Now, I know that we're all glad those days are far behind us, I hope. But this is what this woman is contending with here, folks. She's been continually menstruating for 12 years. In other words, she's been unclean in the eyes of others for 12 years and living as an outcast. So when she touches Jesus, this is a big deal. It's as if a maskless stranger in the early days of the COVID pandemic, walks up to you and starts coughing. But Jesus doesn't socially distance himself. What does he do? He turns and seeing her, he says, take heart, daughter. Your faith has made you well. Seeing her, he says. What do you suppose Jesus saw? Maybe he saw a woman who felt alone in the world because her family and friends had distanced themselves from her so that they too wouldn't be social outcasts. Maybe he saw a daughter that needed to know that while her earthly father had abandoned her, that she has a father in heaven that will always love her. Jesus truly sees this woman, and he not only heals her physically that day, but he gives her new life. So after the Sermon on the Mount, his visioning summit, we see Jesus moving from spoken word 
to works in the community, performing acts of healing and giving new life. But if we only see the acts of healing, we'll overlook another very important act. And I believe it's the key to Jesus' mission, and I believe this is the key to our mission. While others see a tax collector, a synagogue leader, an unclean woman, Jesus sees something else. Jesus looks past the surface, connects with each one of them, and he sees them for whom God created them to be. Jesus is able to give new life because he first sees them. Now, in carrying out our mission and our vision, I believe that we are called to be that someone in that church where people are seen like Jesus sees them. So I want you to think about this. Think about when you see a new person visiting our church, do you approach them excitedly because you see a new volunteer and then they could take up some of our workload? Or maybe you see an additional pledge that we sure could use right now. Now, I wonder what Jesus sees. And when you encounter a person that disagrees with our pride flag out front, does your heart start racing? And do you have intense negative response? If so, what are you seeing? I wonder what Jesus sees. And when you look around you now, the people that are here, the people that are not here, and the changes that have taken place in the last couple of years, what do you see? I wonder what Jesus sees. I want you to imagine the impact if we set out to discover what it is that Jesus sees. Just imagine that. How might our conversations be impacted? How might our relationships be impacted? Maybe we'll develop unexpected connections. It's possible that we might approach those that we normally wouldn't just because we want to discover what it is that Jesus sees. Imagine the profound effect of being a church where people are seen like Jesus sees them. Just imagine that. Now, if we can do that, we'll be a, we will be a spiritual home of God's love, inclusivity, and belonging, reflecting Christ's compassion and justice in our community, in our nation, and world. Seeing people as Jesus sees them will open up opportunities for us to make a difference in people's lives, just as Jesus did. And if we can do that, we will be creating a caring community, giving new life in the name of Jesus the Christ. So I know there's going to be times when this is easier said than done, probably many times, more times than we can count, this is going to be much easier said than done. But you, we are not alone. Jesus is right there at your side. 
extending new life as he whispers in your heart, I see you, Sarah. I see you, John. I see you, Lisa. I see you, Mitch. He's looking at all of us, calling out each of our names and whispering, I see you. And if you can see what I see, amen.